0: i uh-huh. uh-huh. Everyone and welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story, except when we don't. I am Joe Dorowski, and this week we are hosting a Thanksgiving special. And joining us are returning guests Todd Mack, co-founder of the Protagonist Podcast. Welcome, Todd. Thank you. It's happy to. I'm happy to be here as always. And Todd and Todd Peterson, frequent guest. Welcome back, Todd.
1: It's great to be back. Although back seems like a weird thing, like I was always here. <laughs>
0: Uh, well, we uh, were recording this just a little bit after we had both of you on for our Halloween special. And uh, this year being 2020, we wanted to remind everyone of some of the things that we're most thankful for because there's been a lot of strangeness in the world. And so this is just going to be an episode where we're going to run through some questions about works of fiction that mean a lot to us and we'll we're gonna take a little time to talk about what those are and why and listeners we'd love it if any of you are willing to jump on the facebook page and share some of the uh the works that you are thankful for um so we created a list of questions to kind of guide our discussion so i'm just gonna uh read off the first one and then maybe let's stick with uh our uh halloween snake pattern and go Todd Mac than me then Todd Peterson. And then we'll do the next question in reverse order. Okay. That sounds good. All right. So Todd Peterson or Todd Mac. Sorry. Ah, I just said it read it off and we're already messing
2: it up. This is what happens <laughs> when producer Andrew's not here to guide our, our discussions. Um, that's what, that's what you get for not resetting the entire snake <laughs> yes. pattern. Uh, the first question that we had is, <laughs> What is a work you're thankful for? because it literally has
0: changed your life in very concrete ways, like you can point to this and say, My life is different if I never found that thing
3: This is such an interesting question um and er, so earlier you said work of fiction i'm gonna go with uh with actually not a work of fiction That's so fine. I'm just gonna any, break, any work I'm just gonna break the rules from the outset. Um, When I was an undergrad, I took a Spanish literature class called The Hero's Journey in Spanish Literature. And we read Joseph Campbell's The Hero with a Thousand Faces. And I know that that book um, uh, can be kind of polarizing. Uh, There are some people that consider it quite passe. I was just totally blown away uh, by it. And it was really the first time that I felt like I could really uh, kind of see—I call it like seeing the matrix. Like, <laughs> I could see what was going on in stories for the first time, uh, and it was so empowering. And um, and that's a—it's—it's it's a book that teaches um, just sort of the basic pattern of storytelling that Campbell argues is part of the human psyche. It's the way that we think about existence. And so we repeat. Basically, all stories are a repetition of the same story. We've talked. We have an episode about the hero's journey. Is that right? Like one of our early ones?
0: Yeah, we did a one. Of, one of our first special episodes was actually just about the hero's journey. You keep talking for a second. I'll t- I'll, I'll pop in with the episode. Yeah. You, when um,
3: up. Anyway, it was so empowering to me. And we read a, we read a bunch of uh, of short stories and some poems and. Uh, some novels in that class. And I don't really remember any specific thing that we read uh, except for that book. Um, and it's something that I still think about all the time. Anybody that's taken classes from me uh, has seen me draw the you know the Hero's Journey uh, thing on the board. I've taught classes about the Hero's Journey. Um, and I know for a fact that I would not be doing the thing that I do today uh, if I hadn't had that um, that kind of injection of confidence that uh, that that you can read stories and you can kind of see what's going on and, and draw uh, broader meaning from really specific stories that are that are grounded in in a specific time and place. It was such a cool experience for me, uh, and I love to share it with my students even still so I'm going with uh here with a thousand faces by Joseph Campbell
1: I'm so glad that you mention that because it was not on my list, but the minute you mentioned it, I realized that, that that had had such a profound influence on me. I teach film, of course. So that kind of stuff comes up all the time in the discussion of film and it's part of screenwriting. And it's such a gnawing thing on me that I have a character in my new book who gets a copy of one of these Hollywood versions of the hero's journey. And he uses it to sort of like map his own like inner <laughs> quest. Awesome. I really like um, that. And so I, I think you'll be excited for it. The book inside the book is called myth structures for blockbusters. Cause I was kind of trying to satirize the way that films have maybe, I don't know, bastardized yeah. a lot of what Campbell was trying to talk about. But, but again, super powerful for me. Um, I, I wanted to be the little white bird on the rhino with, with your good answer. Todd. <laughs> and I
3: would just, uh, as a follow-up to what you were saying, I think that one of the reasons why, um, or, or, or something that made me kind of fall in love with that book for the second time, the second half of that book is really, uh, far, uh, more difficult to understand what, <laughs> what he's doing. But if you take the time <laughs> to dig into it, um, It's all about uh, like the origin of the universe and it it starts to feel like way more kind of pagan, Um, but it's so, so interesting. And there are so many more and in some ways better insights to be gained from the second half of that book, which takes a step away from just the individual steps in the hero's journey and talks about more about universe building and the way that stories uh, end up eating their own tails, right? So uh, mm-hmm. the hero from one journey becomes the villain of the next journey. Um, it's so interesting, but it, it's it's much uh, less accessible, which is why I think that you see less of it in the in the myth 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 myth, myth building for blockbusters. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, myth, myth structures, structures blockbusters, for blockbusters. Busters, yeah, but yeah. the second half of that book is well worth kind of taking, slowing down a little bit. Uh, and going through and trying to understand what he's doing. Cause it's, uh, I think it's pretty powerful.
1: I need a pocket universe of time that when we get done with any one of these episodes we do so that I can go into the pocket universe time doesn't elapse and I can read <laughs> all the things and watch all the things that we talk about that I, it's been a long time or I need to do it again or I yeah, haven't seen it at
0: all. I co- co-sign. Which is my
1: way of saying I love doing these,
0: yeah. but I hate I co- it. I, co- I co-sign that that is a great work. And you're not breaking any rules by using that, Todd. Okay. I think it's one of those works, like you said, it's kind of controversial at times. I, I think one thing that's interesting about it is it was descriptive of the stories that Campbell was seeing, but it's become prescriptive for a lot of writers after, afterwards who right. like look at it and try and, and match up. And that's where we get some of like the Hollywoodization uh, that uh, Todd Peterson was mentioning. Oh my
1: gosh. I'm totally typing that down. You can edit this out. <laughs> Descriptive and uh,
0: why well, I, I had that at the ready because i have taught the hero <laughs> with a thousand faces or at least the hero's journey several times that's one of the phrases i use to explain to my students why we see it so often um it, it, you know that that pattern uh that is in there and it's just so fast like when he starts to lay out the pattern i just remember the first time i read it just be like oh my goodness it is literally everywhere <laughs> it's just yeah so pervasive
1: um and so, uh, yeah, what I, the prescriptive idea is so interesting to me, because this character um, is really kind of like me. Once I started becoming aware of these structures or any archetypes, I would like say things to myself like, is this the cause, call to uh-huh. adventure? <laughs> if, it, if it is, I'm supposed to refuse yeah. it. Like, I, I can't just say yes. And, and so I find myself wanting to uh, l- like drop myself in the track of these stories uh, just to feel more comfortable. And then I catch myself and then I don't want to do it. And then I resist it. And then I agree. And then it's just loopy loopy and it's marvelous. And it's, I I think it I endorse it as a way of living to compare yourself (laughs) with whether or not you're on a hero's journey or not at any point in time. Yeah, Which side of the threshold are you on?
3: (laughs) (laughs) And really, and I would just uh, say one more time, it is so worth the effort to actually read the book because it has been, uh s- simplified and watered down and turned into you know a a, a drawing on a on a web page or a 3 minute youtube video and <laughs> there is so much more going on there um and uh I, I think it's just it's way worth worth it to you know jump into your pocket universe <laughs> and and actually read the book uh again or read it for the first time uh you know if there are listeners here that haven't read it and are interested in this just get the book and read through it it's way worth it and don't stop when you get to the to the second half where it gets really crazy just
1: keep reading (laughs) because it's really good it's it's like the mytho anthropological 2000 space odyssey just
0: just keep keep going going. (laughs) All right, well, I—I I mean, it's uh, that's a tough one to follow up, but it's my turn to try and follow that up. And as I was thinking about things, uh, you know, stories or or books or movies or whatever that that have like literally changed, like I can think of tons that I love, but I'm like which one actually like set my life on a different course? And I nailed down Uncanny X Men issue number two hundred and eighty, which is called. One Step Back, Two Steps Forward, Muir Island Saga, Part 4. And on the cover, <laughs> it says Pyrrhic Victory. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know why you're choosing this uh, one, This Joseph. was written by Fabian Nicieza and drawn by uh, Andy Kubert and Stephen Butler. And this is the first comic book I ever read. And I remember, actually, I mean, I could go one step back and name another work that changed me. It was, I was watching a Nickelodeon game show, Legends of the Hidden Temple. Uh, and they had the little, like, get to know you segment. And they asked the kids, you know, what's something you like? And one kid said, like, I really love X-Men comics. And it was, I swear it was the next day, but I'm, I can't really say that with certainty, but that's the way it is in my head. I was at the grocery store with my mom and they had a spinner rack of, of comic books back when they actually had those in what 92, I think, or 91, this would be 91. Um, and I saw an X-Men comic book on it and I asked if I could read it. And I am 100% certain that it was my mom just saying, fine, you will be quiet while I do the grocery shopping <laughs> if you're looking at this comic book. <laughs> so Little did she know. Yes. Uh, and like I said, this is part four of a saga. I had no idea who any of these characters were. I didn't know what the first three parts of this story was. My mom actually bought the comic book for me. It cost a dollar and she bought it for me. Uh, and I must have read it. I, I I don't know how many times I read it many, many times. I'm sure the cover fell off of the copy that I had from when I was a kid um, from high times I didn't know what the words Pyrrhic victory on the cover meant at all. <laughs> like, I, I like so little context, but it, there was just something about the world that was there that grabbed me and I needed to understand all those things that I didn't understand about who these characters were. <laughs> like what is the Mirror Island? Like all these things. Why does that guy have claws coming out of his hand? Why does that one shoot lasers out of out of his eyes? Um and, and I was hooked. And when I say like literally changed my life, I was thinking through if I hadn't read that X-Men comic, what would be different? Well, <laughs> um, I you know, I collected a lot of comics in high school and that's you know something but you know that was just I lost a lot of disposable income there uh, but then I ended up <laughs> writing some papers about superheroes in college at, at a point that I'd kind of stopped reading comics like I wasn't actually keeping up with what was going on it was just it's something that I knew a lot about still and I thought it would be a different flavor for my professors and uh, when I finished my undergrad it, with a degree in English I applied to go on and get a master's really just because I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. And I just thought, carry on in academia. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And one of the professors who had taught my, he had team taught what had been my senior course. And I had written a paper on Spider-Man in there. He stopped me in the hall and said, I saw your grad school application. If you get in and you want to write about superheroes, let me know. I'd love to be your thesis advisor. I didn't know who a thesis advisor was, what like, I was so naive about what that all meant, but I'm like, sounds great to have one. So I said, <laughs> yes. Yeah. So then I ended up writing my master's thesis on superheroes uh, with him. When I got in, and I was wrapping up and I'm like, I don't know what I want to do. So I started applying to, to PhD programs and I got into one at Michigan State to specifically write about the X-Men. That was what was in my, my proposal because at Michigan State, they house the comic art collection. It's the largest comic collection in the world. And they have the Journal of Popular Cultures housed there. So they have a lot of pop culture themed studies. And the first day I was at Michigan State to uh, even before I'd gone to a class uh, in the parking lot of my apartment complex, I met my, my wife.
1: <laughs> um, <laughs> This is the greatest story of all time.
0: <laughs> and uh, so now, uh, years later, I am married to Emily. We have uh, four kids. Uh, I still write about uh, academically about superhero comic books. I edit essay collections on them. It has really shaped my life. And it all goes back to this one issue of X-Men. Like, as far as I could try and find what sent me down this path. Uh, It is uncanny X-Men number 280 is why I am married to the person I'm married to. (laughs) I have the kids that I have and I have the career that I have.
3: That is an awesome story.
1: I thought we were going to go from like this high culture thing to this low culture thing. And then it turns out to be like, so life affirming. (laughs) I, I almost kind of want to turn and run like uh, the Ray Fiennes character in the Grand Budapest <laughs> Hotel and just just run for the stairs. Um, oh, it's too amazing. And
0: by the way, I went and dug it out and reread it recently. And one other thing I have to say about it. Like, now that I think about it, I was thinking about how many creators have had a hand in what landed in the Muir Island saga, saga with, with the fact that these are like corporately owned characters that literally dozens and dozens of writers and artists have done and like the version of Cyclops that's in this that's the first version of Cyclops I read I was thinking about well it was created by Stanley and Jack Kirby but then you know there's all these other writers along the way that have reshaped who Cyclops was and I was thinking about like doing like if I tried to track every creator who influenced the version of the X-Men that were in Uncanny X-Men number 280 when I picked it up. It, like it's a, a mind-blowing project to try and think about like who's influenced personalities and visual style and costuming, you know, costume choices and introduce all the elements that are now present in this one comic book that I picked up when I was uh 11 years old. Uh you know, it's it's or 9 years old. I was I was uh yeah, not would have been 9 at the time. It's it's kind of crazy to think about um with the the world of superheroes, you know, just how Involved, so many people are in making these products that are now known to so many people.
3: I think that story is so interesting because, um, like I wonder, I mean, it says something interesting about your character that you would pick up this story and be right in the middle of it. And instead of thinking, Oh, this is so confusing. I don't understand what anything is to just be like gripped by it. <laughs> and to think, this is so amazing. I don't know. I don't know who any of these people are. I want (laughs) to know, right? Like, and I want to get more books so that I can learn more. Um,
0: And and you need to put yourself back in 1991. There were no film adaptations (laughs) of Marvel characters. There were no cartoons on on the air at the time. There was no internet to
3: go to, to just, just like, Oh, Oh, just, just Google Wolverine. And then you can know his whole backstory.
0: Well, I remember, uh, People, oh, right. people knew who Batman was. Yes. I, well, I mean, I knew the 1960s Batman. I knew that one.
3: <laughs> I think many people, many people would find that experience to be just infuriating. Uh, but for you, it was so, it was like so exciting. Um, and I'm
0: finding a, a mystery to start solving.
3: Yeah, I, right? think that, I think a lot of people in our field would find that experience to be similar. And we probably know people who would hate <laughs> who would hate to have that experience. <laughs> But that's awesome.
1: Well, there this is such an interesting cultural kind of moment as well because I know um sort of disgruntled um uh like neckbeard comic sh- shop guys that that kind of discount fandom that em- emerges in the, the internet um Henry Jenkins convergence culture mm-hmm. kind of world where where you can go into any wiki of anything and learn anything quickly. And there's a sense, I think, of fans from a certain era that are like, listen, I <laughs> earned this.
0: I had to buy a pack of 10 cards and hope I didn't get doubles so I could read on the back what the power yeah. like, of these different characters yeah. were.
1: <laughs> there was this kind of work ethic ascribed to being a fan in a certain era. Um, and, you know, you had to read all these magazines, right? Because mm-hmm. that was how you found it. And, yeah, and it's, the only you know, way you knew what
0: was coming in the future was Wizard Magazine. The, the, like, there was... Right,
1: Wizard Magazine, Comics Journal, if you were, like, super nerdy and, like, maybe getting into advanced nerdism like you were talking about. But Fangoria, I, I know lots of people who kind of work in the horror genre who were like, that was the thing. Yeah. Like, when I found out that there was a discourse, and, and at the time, kids, like, didn't know that that's what they were participating in. But but joining in a thing. I think, I think it was similar with like Dungeons and Dragons. Mm -hmm. Um, but it was certainly true of music. Like, where did you go to learn about bands? Where did you, where did you pick up that kind of stuff? I I remember like finding blood simple in a video store and going, we should watch this guys (laughs) having no idea that the Coen brothers were going to emerge as something huge. Like you had to kind of bump into stuff. I think there was a lot of accidental, Uh Um, contact with things. And then again, people are like, hold the phone. I need to know more about this. There's a lot of things that bumped into me, like space debris that just kind of bounced off and passed me by. But there were things that were like that, like Blade Runner. I, I I had no place watching Blade Runner as like an 11 year old (laughs) or something like that. But I, I went that. Yeah. I didn't, and I still am not 100% sure I even know what Blade Runner is, but I was like that. Yeah. <laughs> but it didn't, it didn't have the, it didn't, it didn't get me married.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah it didn't, didn't quite set the course that much.
1: <laughs> <sighs> All right. Should I pick it up? Yeah. yeah. It, am Peterson, I uh, on the curve of the snake? What, what do you so, have for us? You know, one of the things we, we do sometimes when we, have these kinds of things is we kind of drop some things that sort of popped up. And I can think of my professional life as a, um, a university teacher, um, faculty member that Wendell Berry's essay, the loss of the university was huge in like defining how I think about my job. Um, and he just sort of talks about not knowing about the thing that we're making, which is uh, human beings, And I'm like, okay, but that didn't change my life in concrete ways. It kind of affirmed things. Um, But I think that the thing that maybe has changed my life the most is very recent. So it's not kind of a deep moment for me. And that's um, the television series, The Good Place. (laughs) Oh, I love that show. I love it so much. And I I, kind of took one stab at it. Because I kind of like Mike Sure and and the stuff that he does and and um, my family has kind of over time like really sort of kind of popped with him from show to show to show. I, I gave the Good Place a, a look real quick. Um, my wife did too, and just went eh. And then like a few months later, I said, "Let's give this another try." Everybody's talking about this, and then we did, and and something had shifted in our lives so that this was kind of m- more perfect. Um, so we watched one episode and my wife and I, the first episode, saw it all the way through and we stopped and we said, the kids need to watch this with us. Um, and so not the nine-year-old, but we've got two teenagers at at the time. It was two teenagers, a high school senior. She's now in college. And we sat down with it and we said, there isn't anything like this in that kind of like 20 minute framework that would fit into our busy lives where we could go into it. And get moral instruction?
0: (laughs) Well, definitely exposure to moral philosophy, right?
1: Exposure to moral philosophy. Yeah, I I was trying to use a kind of like a upturn because I'm not sure what it was. But what ended up happening is we would watch the show and then we would have these conversations with our kids. And they started um, having the kinds of um, like ethical encounters like you do in high school. And I remember one time it didn't, uh, uh, my daughter was having a particularly difficult thing and she didn't know how to solve it. And my wife just set her fork down and she said, what would Chidi Anagonye do? (laughs) And, and, you know, we're, we're kind of faithful people, but this, this was, this was a way that was maybe less daunting than asking a question of like, what would Jesus of Nazareth do? Right. (laughs) Which is such a big, tall order but but that we had an access point with Chidi, and then we started recognizing kind of like that this was functioning, you know, like Pilgrim's Progress or another kind of you know all these morality plays um, and stuff. I, I would have to say, being an English professor, that was the thought I had, and probably nobody else in my family was having that thought. <laughs> but but realizing that we were kind of watching in the modern context an allegory at play, made me go this is what's the genius of this thing. And so I felt my life as an adult pivot because of that show. I felt myself going, I see how complex moral and ethical questions are at this point. I see the problem of kind of moral and ethical absolutism. And I also started to, the show started to really kind of melt down my ideas about, um, I don't know how morals and ethics worked, and how I wanted to be more merciful and empathetic and understanding. Because the show's trying to unpack for us, it the world that we built for ourselves has made it almost impossible to be good and decent. Um, and yet, I, I don't know. I just felt like being a better person because I watched that show. Um, and I think that there's lots of things that you know I take in that help me understand beauty. And give me an aesthetic response, but this show, which isn't aesthetically the greatest television show ever made, but it helped me want to be a better human, which I don't think most of the stuff that I read or watch or take in does.
0: I think it's a great choice uh, for for that, and I know exactly what you're talking about. That like you just start. I, I remember watching that show, and I've I've watched the first there's four seasons, right? I think so. I think I've watched the first three seasons twice, um, and then watched the fourth season when it came out and I want to go back and revisit it. But I remember starting to have some of those thoughts in my head of like the scoreboard of choices. Mm-hmm, and then like right? you said, when they had the discussion about how um when they created the scoreboard, you know, the, these higher beings created a score system of what is moral and right? Uh, and someone grabbed a rose and gave it to their mother. That was positive points. But if you buy a rose at the store now and it ran through like all the labor costs and the and the the, uh, exactly. the, the uh, pollution that's entering the air, because most of our roses are actually flo- flown in internationally to the United States, the ones that end up in our grocery stores, uh, you know, and, and like now, well, that's negative points. And um, I like, like I just started to see the world differently because of this show that made me laugh like crazy and entertained me. And I love the characters, but it also has reshaped my worldview in some ways.
1: But, and it was a sneak attack. I think you watch it and you go, oh, this is going to be just a situation comedy. And then the next thing I know, it's really saying, you know what you need to do, what everybody needs to do? Forgive. (laughs) Be
0: kind. Did you know? Yeah.
1: Did you know that even a demon can become better? And I was like, yep, this is, more of this, please mm-hmm. fill the world with more of this dark, dark Christopher Nolan. Batman is fine, but I really think that the world would be a better place. If there was more good place kind of stuff.
2: I like it. Hey, can can I join you guys?
3: On
0: exactly, the you
2: get in here. Do you, do you have a work that's changed your life? You want to talk about Andrew? I, I do. And so I'm joining in at the end because I had to spend. a ha half, half of the discussion about the hero's journey. Like, finding my resource my my like the the (laughs) copy um that i needed um and then i spent the the rest of the time that you've got you guys have been discussing stuff thinking like okay is there anything else or or am i sticking with this one um and i thought of some contenders and i would say full metal alchemist is one of my contenders Uh. um because the entire series of full metal alchemist is fantastic and and you know, kind of the things that, that um, Todd Peterson was talking about with the good place where it creates like a reevaluation pattern, you know, of what you are valuing, what you are concerned with, what you are focusing on. And I think Full Metal Alchemist has definitely done that for me. And so it would be one of those things that I think of um, throughout my life as, as having a a significant impact. Um, But the first thing that came to mind and the thing that I'm, I'm really going to stick with is it's super random. Um, but it is issue 12 of the third volume of the Runaways series. <laughs> and it's actually you... just the first page of it. And right, it's go on. just the text on it. And All so right. this is back in 2009. Right. Um, this is right after I graduated high school. And right before I went to Poland for two years, And before I started college for real. Um, And so it's a pretty like big transition point in my life. You're about to cross a threshold, if you will. Yes. A a few thresholds were on the horizon. Um, And I have, I have, I have read and I own everything runaways. Right. And I always will. And this is one of the reasons that I will. A big reason is because it was one of the first comics that I like bought and collected. And Weirdly, this issue is like, this is the most important comic book issue to me in my entire life out of thousands and thousands, probably (laughs) at this point of comic book issues that I've bought and consumed. And weirdly, it's actually the one where I don't know where it is in my collection because I've pulled it out (laughs) of my collection and it's somewhere else in my house. (laughs) But it's so important to me that it's not in my collection. Do you know what the text is? Yeah, I, I pulled up, I pulled up the comic book resources archived preview from 2009 um, so thank goodness for the internet so I could find the the actual text um, I tell that to 1991 me trying to figure out who these X-Men were <laughs> yeah I've got, I've got some advantages on that um, and it's written by Catherine Eminen um, who doesn't do a ton, a ton of comic book writing right now um, but this is just super stuck with me and if I if there were one comic book that I could get signed I would have Catherine Eminen sign this one and so I'm gonna read you guys the the text that's on the first page, um, because it, it works without like context. Um it's not mm-hmm. even clear like what character is speaking in this, but I'm gonna read it to you and then and then talk about like what I pull from that. I remember back when I was in school, when things were more normal. I remember how hard everything was. Every exam, every essay. I remember thinking how it would be easier to die than to write the first word on an empty screen. Every single time. And my parents always saying, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. Stop worrying. You always do well. And I hated that they were right. And I hated them for being right every single time. Because just once I wanted someone to acknowledge how hard it all really was, the crying and the dying and the headaches and the heartaches, to say it out loud so that I could hear it just once. And then I'd just get on with it but I'd know that they knew that it wasn't fine at all and that it probably never would be fine, but we just get on with it like we always do. And the thing that's always like carried through with me from that is that the last sentence, like we always do every crazy, hard, difficult outrageous thing that everyone's experienced like ever in their life. If you got through it, then you got through it. (laughs) So every (laughs) time you faced a new one, like (laughs) you, you, you've been through it. (laughs) Yeah. Like every new challenge, every, you know, anxiety and everything. Okay. Well, I'm either going to get through it or I'm not. Mm -hmm. And if I get through it, then I get through it. And so I just get on with it just like always (laughs) you know like we always do and and that's that last line is basically like my personal motto every time it's like man things are getting really crazy yep and then we go to bed and we wake up and we do the stuff just like always Mm
0: -hmm. oh well i like that andrew thank you for jumping in all right guys i'm realizing something that we had like eight or nine (laughs) questions in our (laughs) our essays, which I am loving. I'm not saying we've done a thing wrong. Uh, I I like where we're at, but we may need to cherry pick what question we're going to answer. And so uh i guess if we're going snake now it'd be andrew uh do you want to look over the next question well actually no you you are you are jumping in because you uh you just wanted to get in here you hadn't actually prepped some stuff so maybe let's have todd peterson choose one of the remaining questions that you want to make sure we get to and we'll just jump from there and we'll all take a turn on that one and uh we're not gonna get through all these i don't think
2: I, I, i'll be surprised if we get through three more questions
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs>
3: right some of the some I, our um, answers might be quicker i mean we could just yes. do like more lightning round
1: yeah the end yeah, maybe some lightning things. rounds on
3: some of these
1: sure that's that's what i was gonna suggest it's like i think the next question on our list is one that uh i don't think will take as much exposition mm-hmm. so i mean maybe we could jump into it yeah. and give it a try and then um i mean the Cause I think, you know, the ones about like the lesser known work, that's where I want, I feel like that it really want to open it up.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, the, the question about say something that totally changed your life. It's kind of a big question. There's a little <laughs> more to fill in on that one. <laughs> so it's fair that that right. one goes long.
1: Let's, um, let's go to something that I maybe it'll help with the, the thankful, mm-hmm. um, I want to suggest we go to who is someone that helped guide your tastes. All right. And, and then, and then snake through that one. And then if we do some lightning rounds on other ones, I mean, at least we'll kind of get to that. Does that sound cool? Yeah, Go for it. Um, so I, this is an extension of the conversation that we had before, like finding a comic or finding a band, or um, I think that, that individual people, have had such an impact on me in various ways. It's one of the things I hope that I can do as a teacher as well, like just be able to put something in play for a student. And then they go, they have a moment, like the ones we just described, like it, like it pivots them in the universe into something else, just by being able to have a great relationship with them uh, or whatever. So I've got, I've got some new things like my graduate director, Brian Evanson, was really sort of profound, but I want to go deep where I was kind of new on the last question. And I want to go early. Um, there was a friend of mine, uh her name was Shelly Hedges in high school. And um on one time once she said, let's go. We were living in Portland. She said, let's go downtown. There's this really cool movie theater. I've always wanted to go to cinema 21. Um, And it was the alternative theater. I mean, it was like the, When my mom found out actually that I went to a movie down there, she's like, ah, man, like that's where they sell heroin (laughs) and um, all all of this kind of stuff. But, but Shelly was the first one who said, let's go down there. And we went and saw a Jim Jarmusch movie. We went and saw down by law uh, by Jim Jarmusch. And it was because she was really one of these active investigators Like she was getting me listening to all kinds of stuff like the cowboy junkies, like, um, uh, the violent Femmes, all of this other kind of like non corporate stuff when it was really easy as a high school student in the eighties to just get swept up in hair metal to get swept up in, um, large blockbuster films. But she kind of put me down this line by just saying, let's go out and have these adventures um, in uh, kind of like on the the back side of Portland, um, and it was marvelous. And it, it just sort of set me down a path. It made me kind of always want to look for that stuff. Eventually, the, like the next stop was David Lynch, and all of these other kinds of things that I don't think I would have ever um fallen in line with. And she's kind of uh, on her own. I've kept up with her a little bit. She's an artist that works out on the West Coast, and she makes these really cool. Um, like dresses out of like candy wrappers <laughs> and it's really interesting pop artwork. And she's, she's really, really interesting. But to have a friend like that who can kind of get you, she bumped me out of, out of a track where I might've been kind of just like everybody else and kind of got me being really interested in finding different, maybe even slightly more difficult things and that it just was sort of year by year by year I kind of moved in that direction. But it, she gave me this really great eclectic taste. I like
0: that. Uh, good. Thanks, Todd. <laughs> I'm I, like I'm loving that we're doing this and I just am too. just sitting back and talking about these things. Um, when thinking about uh, someone that guided my taste, I, I think you know naturally it's it, people that you're around the most are going to do that. And I was thinking that, you know, I, I think I love Poe because of my mom. And I remember my dad talking about Godzilla movies. And that's why I watched Godzilla movies on TV whenever I could. And uh, I know like my oldest sister, Virginia, she is, uh, she showed me Fraser for the first time. And I've ended up having a chance to work with a different sister on a book about Fraser, like all these little moments. Like, uh, and I can't like point to one of my parents or my siblings that are the reason I like what I like, or I've been exposed to what I like. They've all had a major influence, uh, and then you know you move forward, and uh, like I can think about my graduate advisor Steve Walker or my my PhD advisor Gary Gary Hoppenstand, and, and some of the theory books that they showed me, and uh, you know that have guided me in my academic career. But really, I got I think I've got to go back to just my parents and all my siblings. Um, when you're growing up in the 80s, in uh you, again that that pre-internet age where it's like what what is around you is your entertainment and what is on the channel right now <laughs> you know, that's it is is going to be your entertainment um so much of that uh, uh of the things that I discovered in terms of, you know, old TV shows uh, that my parents mentioned. I also like Rocky and Bullying Hill. I remember my dad like found Rocky and Bullying Hill on. And was like, you got to come watch this. And I ended up <laughs> loving Rocky and Bullying Hill. Cause, cause my dad said, this is on right now. We're watching this. Uh, and then I also do have to give a shout out to my uncle Hiram, who I'm not going to say anything about how this was done, but we got a lot of VHS copies of <laughs> movies. <laughs> sometimes, you know, three, four movies on one VHS tape uh, that just pre- presented opportunities that aren't there. The, my kids are never gonna understand what it's like now that they have Disney Plus and Netflix and, you know, Hulu, where it's like they, they never feel the need to watch a repeat of anything. Um, but in the 80s, it's like, well, if, if it's there, that's that's gonna be my source of entertainment. Um, but I I just really also not just that it's my parents but like the eclectic tastes that i can point to them guiding me to like i said you know poe and godzilla movies and universal horror movies from the 30s on on halloween my dad like pointing out that they were going to be doing on on tnt like a a marathon of, of universal horror movies and so like i wanted to go watch those um and i i bet like my dad might not remember that he said that to me, (laughs) but I remember my dad (laughs) saying that to me. And that's when I discovered, you know, Bela Lugosi's Dracula and things like that. So I I think for most people, they would say, well, my immediate family shaped an awful lot of my tastes and I'm going there, but I just, it would feel weird for me to say anyone else.
3: Interesting. Interesting.
1: I try to be that parent. I do too, and maybe, <laughs> and and maybe that's a way of backfiring. I hope I not.
3: I, I have that <laughs> same concern.
1: Oh yeah, I, I, I know something things like, have
0: been rejected because I was the one suggesting it. But the other day, I discovered my six-year-old staying up late after his bedtime. He was reading in bed, and he was reading a copy of 1982's official handbook of the Marvel Universe. And I was so happy I had not pushed it on him. He just found it on the shelf and thought it looked interesting that's and grabbed awesome. it. <laughs> and he was reading about
2: obscure supervillains that are never going to appear in any Marvel movie or anything like that.
3: How fun. That is okay, perfect. That's,
2: that's the like the most worthwhile thing he could be getting out of that handbook. Because the rest of the info, if it's about the heroes, that's, I mean, that's so right. outdated. <laughs> that's half their lifetime outdated at this point. That's right. But, the, but those villains who aren't going to show up anywhere? That's, That's how they say, live on.
0: Like, like any creator who's going to reach in and find them is looking at the 1982 yeah. uh, official handbook of the Marvel universe. <laughs>
3: um, I thought, uh, you know, like both of you, uh, a lot about my my advisors, both for my master's degree, Greg Stallings, and my PhD, uh, Juan Armando Um It's <laughs> it's impossible not to mention somebody like that in in a conversation like this because they are just so. He- enormously influential uh, in, you know, choosing the things that we, that we read as graduate students. Um, And I really do owe them a huge debt to Stallings um, because of all of the, I took a class on film noir and contemporary Spanish literature with him uh, and, and really fell in love with, uh, with all the, all the noir stuff there and Rosina for opening my eyes to Catalan literature, which is just awesome and has been so, um, so enjoyable for me. Uh, but I was, I, 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 I also thought back to when I was younger and, um, there were really two, I, I did a lot of reading in, in two areas. <laughs> uh, one was fantasy novels and one was, um, Westerns, Louis Lamore Westerns, especially. Um, and I I know where the Westerns came from. I had a neighbor across the street, Val Jackson, and he's an old cowboy from Kanab, and a religion professor at, at Utah Valley University. And um, that guy was amazing, and had read a lot. Uh, and he had he had this room in his basement. And behind the door was a was a hanging bookshelf, like that, that would hang up on the door. Uh, and so we'd go down in his basement, and he'd open this door, and there would be every Louis L'Amour novel uh, hanging behind this door. And and I would uh, I would I was just amazed by it. Um, and there was something about Louis L'Amour and the the kind of the aesthetics of the West. Um, and those heroes and their adventures that I was just totally captivated by. Um, but he would, he would give me a L'Amour novel, and then he would give me something else to read, usually something like some uh, you know religious text. And he would say, uh, you can get the next Louis L'Amour novel when you've read both of these things, and then we'll talk about it. And I was young. I mean, I was, I, was, I don't know like between 10 and 14 or something. This went on for uh, uh, some time. But to to have that experience of having my across-the-street neighbor uh, kind of tutoring me without me really even knowing it uh, through those really formative years, that was such an awesome experience for me. Uh, and I love Val Jackson uh, for taking the time uh, to do that with me. Um, without me really asking, or you know, I don't know if there was ever a conversation between him and my parents or anything. Uh, but it was <laughs> such a cool thing for me, and I and I think about that a lot still. And I was thinking about my my love of fantasy novels, and I really, um, i <laughs> I just have to thank librarians because I don't really remember being surrounded by a bunch of people that were reading really a ton of anything i was reading more than anybody i knew uh, but i would go to the library and i would see the displays up and i would talk to librarians and i would say oh, i just read this and they would say oh you should read this other thing and I'd go, oh that sounds cool um and it was it was really <laughs> um you know librarians making cool displays and 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 perusing library shelves and, and just seeing something and thinking, this looks cool. I'll go ahead and read it. I mean, I have, my parents had no idea what I was reading when I was a kid. I was just going to the library and pulling stuff <laughs> off the shelf and uh, and talking to librarians, and they were recommending things to me. And that was a lot of my childhood. They were, every once in a while, somebody said, oh, you should read this. And I'm okay, cool. Uh, But I think librarians and Val Jackson probably (laughs) were the were the biggest influence on my reading when I was when I was younger. So that's all I got.
1: Todd got onto something here, which is there there's this. I think the theme or the through line so far in this episode is serendipity. Right. Like there's these things that we we're all talking about sort of coming upon them or stumbling upon them. Um, and, and they're transformative and sometimes even, you know, like maybe coming at them against the grain or it's, it's not even what I would have been looking for. And I think, I mean, if we're going to talk about Thanksgiving, right, like being thankful or being acknowledging whatever, all the stuff that the universe is going to bring to you that you didn't like go looking for. But it just passed on to you, or that that it was given to you, maybe even in spite of yourself. Um, I hope I'm not maybe like projecting too much of my my own thing. But this is this is this is so cool because it's about that, and it's also not about marketing.
2: Mm -hmm. Well, so you you might have lost me there because I was gonna say when I was thinking about the answer to this question, um, I was gonna kind of slide past the immediate family thing because. Initially I was like, well, Joe's responsible for a lot of my stuff. And 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 John, who has been a guest on the podcast is responsible for a lot of my stuff because they're the siblings that like gave me the stuff that stuck. Like I had other siblings like our brother Alex, like he put on a lot of, you know, professional res- wrestling and sports, and that didn't really <laughs> stick with me. Comic books and superheroes definitely stuck with me, and that's what Joseph and John brought me. Um and so I didn't want to dig too deep into like the family, well because Joseph, you know, tread that ground pretty thoroughly. And so I started thinking about the other things. And you you can go on about how I shaped you. I don't. (laughs) (laughs) But well, and then I was thinking, it's like, okay, well, what's the stuff that Joseph didn't have an influence on. super Significantly. Um, And, and, and so when you're saying, you know, marketing is like, actually one of the things that has a huge influence on me is the librarians of the nineties, which is the television programmers. It's the people who were setting up the, the cartoon block in the afternoon and the Saturday morning cartoons. And on Cartoon Network, there was Tsunami on Saturday nights. And like, that's why I have shelves full of manga. That's why I've watched anime is because some programmers said, well, what can we put on Saturday nights? Let's do this. Let's do some of this anime stuff from Japan. Let's, let's just put it on for like two and a half hours and we'll see what people grab. And like, I saw there like, they were putting on like a little bit of Dragon Ball Z before the actual Saturday morning cartoons. Like it was the pre Saturday morning cartoon with some Dragon Ball Z. And so like, that was like my earliest exposure to anime and then the Toonami stuff on Saturday nights. And I was like, I made a point of watching that stuff. And like, it got me into these things. That's what got me into, you know, picking up these, these international, Flavors into into my experience, which were not something that was going to come from from Joseph um, or or John. I mean, John got into him as well, you know, kind of the same time that I was getting into him, maybe a little bit before me. But, you know, that's kind of the the pattern for some of the stuff It's like, it's just what was on. And yeah. the programmers head like here, like here, kids eat all this stuff. <laughs> like okay well this is what's on the table so yeah i'm gonna get like this yeah. is what i'm eating like this is what i'm consuming and that has a huge impact on me right like i watched batman the animated series i watched x-men stuff i watched all these cartoons and then i watched you know all this anime and it's what was there yeah, yeah. and and it, it has a huge impact on me I, again
0: it's just gonna be so different seeing my kids like it's just a different media where, universe where it's not what's happens to be on you know the eight channels <laughs> that yeah, are airing. It's a, at it's the a different
2: kind of curation.
3: It's curators of Disney Plus and for my kids, BYU TV.
2: But but, <laughs> but even if you've got like even yeah, well, if you've got Disney Plus it's gonna have a big a big impact. Well and, yeah. and like even with like Disney Plus or the streaming services like there's so much that it's going to get filtered and curated somehow, right? Instead of by, by, by what the parents recommend or what their friends are talking yes, about. Like, like somebody's you know. selecting something, they have to choose to put it on, which is not the exact same experience that, that we had in the nineties. Where it's like, well, we didn't choose mm-hmm. to put this on. It's just there's like four options. And I was like, I can <laughs> watch these, I can watch these cartoons, or I can watch the infomercial about the Miracle Blade 3. Like <laughs> what am I going to do? Just,
3: my daughter came to me today and she goes, I'm trying to figure out what to watch next on Disney Plus. And I was like I don't know. <laughs>
1: Anything. But, but see, you, may, you may also need... Uh, so, so I'm going to bend the, this thing all back around itself and say, hey, one of the features of the hero's journey is a mentor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes the mentors are overt, right? They, ass- they assume and assert the role, like uh, my friend or a parent or whatever. But sometimes maybe it's less apparent. And it's these um, these programmers, right, or the librarians setting up things or uh, displays in the library to kind of to push books towards kids or disc jockeys on radio stations. Oh, also, I, I got to throw um, out
2: some support to, like, the people that were running bookstores and were setting up the shelf. Oh, yeah. Like, totally. Orders set up the manga shelf. And
1: that's where mm-hmm. I bought my manga. And if they hadn't done that, I wouldn't I wouldn't have any. I would totally shout out that that one of the things that's so important is to talk about booksellers because even now, a, a bookseller, and they're not wrong, a lot of them that are really, really good talk about how to hand sell a book. So the experience is you show up, maybe you're poking around a shelf and a really, really good bookseller will show up and go, hey, can I help you? And then can start listening and getting into this kind of conversation and guide someone to a book. I I know some people who work in booksellers that are like, that is my, that is my high art form is to connect people with, with a book. Yeah. And it's, it's thrilling. I think when you can, when you can send someone on, I don't know in video game language, right. It would be like the little side quest. Yeah. Um, I know that you're heading on this one thing, but why don't you take this little side quest and, um, into a thing that I'm recommending, and sometimes that falls flat, but sometimes you're like, you know, that thing you recommended, perfect, yeah, perfect. And and there's booksellers all around. Uh, I'm getting in more connection with them, kind of on social media now, and they're. It's kind of like the book and media version. Have you guys seen the documentary? Jiro loves dreams of sushi. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah. it's just it's amazing, yeah. but it's it's about someone who's like so focused on. One thing that he's clearly head and shoulders above the the rest of everybody else. Like he's going to be better at this one thing than I could be at anything else ever. Um, and I think that there are some people like that who can like just broker deals between people and things. Yeah.
0: All right, Todd Mack, do you want to pick our next question? I'm going to say maybe the last question. <laughs> well, we can lightly ground through a few things where like, just tell me what you were considering saying on these at the very end.
3: Oh, um, I'm going to go with, uh, what's a lesser known work. You're glad you discovered. Mm. Um, I really like this question. And so much of what we've talked about today has been about that, <laughs> uh, about just discovering things that were not on your radar, but, but, but really, uh, you know, brought a lot of joy. Um, so I, I'm gonna cheat and give to one short. Uh, Watership Down. When we read Watership Down, that was <laughs> I cannot remember a time when I when I had a more uh, uh, a a a more wrong. Expectation for a book than I did for watership down, I, I was expecting sailors on a boat uh, and having you know like maybe some pirates or, or or maybe like some kind of mutiny or something i mean i was I was picturing guys in like yellow slickers with big yellow hats on and stuff and and I picked up this book and it was about rabbits going on this uh, incredibly epic adventure that covers like 200 yards of ground. (laughs) It was so good and so well written. uh, And the characters have stuck with me in such a powerful way. It was just, uh, it was such a delightful experience for me to read Watership Down. Um, So that's one. And then the other one is uh, there's a Catalan novel uh, called The Time of the Doves. The the English translation is is usually translated as The Time of the Doves. In Spanish, it's called La Plaza del Diamante. Um, and it's, uh, easily one of the best novels of the 20th century and certainly the, the least appreciated. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's amazing. And, uh, it's, we, we should do it on this, on this podcast sometime, but it's a story of a, a woman. Um, she marries a guy and he's a big jerk and, he's he really makes her life miserable and so you're reading along and it it gives you that nice feeling of like get man that guy's such a jerk you know (laughs) and uh and you know she has every right to feel bad about her life because this guy has really made things terrible for her and then he dies in the spanish civil war uh, about mm, halfway through the novel just maybe a little past halfway through the novel and you're like yes finally she's free from the shackles of that man and and she'll be able to you know make a new life for herself and then she's even more miserable than she was before and you realize that not only can other humans make our lives miserable but sometimes uh we can make our own lives miserable <laughs> and the and the whole last part of this novel is about her uh learning um, learning how to love and learning how to trust people and learning how to be grateful um and recognizing that so much of her own happiness really does lie in her ability to build relationships with people around her and it's such a uh it's such an affirmation of agency um and and love um like the like the purest kind of love she ends up meeting a guy who um, was injured in the war and is incapable of <laughs> well let's say romantic love uh but really loves her and um the end of this novel it wraps up in about 3 pages at the end um that are just like some of the most beautiful writing that I've ever read um and I had no idea this thing existed until I started reading reading Catalan literature um and now it's easily easily one of Uh, my favorite novels and really one of the best things um, that I've read, like full stop. It's so good and so little known, Uh, but people who have read it, you know, Nobel prize winning authors talk about uh, Rudureda, the the author of this novel as, I mean, she's like uh, top shelf, just the best of the best and it's short and it's easy to read and it's just amazing. So there you go.
0: All right. Well, we will have to cover it on the podcast, as you suggested. So look for that sometime in 2021. (laughs) 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 We can get Todd back on uh, to talk about that. Um, All right. uh, Similarly, I had two that I was kind of kicking around. I'll do one a little more in depth and then just quickly hit the other one. Um, Have either of you, or I guess Andrew's around, have any of you seen a British sitcom called Miranda? No. Mm
1: Mm-mm. No
0: It stars Miranda Hart And uh, this is one that my wife introduced me to And one of her friends uh, from work had recommended it um, And so like there's the chain of sequence That land, landed with me watching this And it's a BBC sitcom So you know there's some elements there It's it's a lower episode count It's a lower budget Seems to be involved But I just laughed so much watching this this show And Miranda Hart is the creator of the show She plays the uh, character of Miranda You know which is a sitcom version of of herself Um, but the actress miranda hart is very tall she's six foot one (laughs) and she just feels like like she had like a comedy routine she had a comedy radio show about like just how awkward she always feels about everything and and both because of her physical size but then also just she doesn't feel like an adult (laughs) you know she's in her 30s she doesn't feel like she's actually a grown-up uh she doesn't know like every social situation becomes awkward uh for her and uh, it got turned into this sitcom series, which ran for, uh, I think, only three three series, as they call it, uh, in in England, um, and I I think they're all available on Hulu. That's where I was watching them, but you never know with streaming services if it's still there. Uh, but it's just called Miranda and. Uh, it has some really traditional sitcom premise, you know, pre- uh, premises about it, where like there's the will they won't they with a, a, a best friend that that's always around, uh, and uh, and then she's uh, you know she's got a mom who's disappointed in her and is always giving these these barbs uh, to her, you know, in, in her direction. At, so the, in some ways it's a really classic sitcom, in others it's different. Like she breaks the fourth wall, like so like she'll stop and turn and address the camera, and she'll she'll have monologues with just madness happening around her that are just hilarious uh to watch and i just gained a real appreciation for um that blend of something that's familiar with a lot of the sitcom tropes that you know but is also you know different enough that it feels like something i i wouldn't see on american television and i can't think of anything that quite lines up with it perfectly to try and say oh it's just like this other show it's just something i really liked uh from the first episode on and we binged the whole thing pretty quickly um once emily had introduced it to me Miranda. Oh, and then the other one is uh, that I said I was going to do a quick hit on. Uh, It's on Apple TV, and I will warn you, uh, there's a lot of F-bombs in the show, but it's called Ted Lasso, and you may have heard of it because it's gotten some buzz on social media. Uh, And it's Jason Sudeikis playing his character from the old NBC sports commercials from like 2010 about an American football coach going to England to coach soccer to manage a soccer team (laughs) and has become a full sitcom for Apple TV. But the way Ted Lasso gets played, he is just endless positivity and optimism. Like all the swearing is coming from the football players that are around him and other characters around him. But it is really like it's these 10 episodes that are about, how much being a good person and optimistic can change the world around you, <laughs> and <laughs> and can make people better. Uh, and uh, it's it's uh, I was just very shocked at how charming this show, which again has a lot of f bombs in it, coming from the, the football players, but they're said in a British accent, so it's not quite the same. <laughs> uh, <laughs>
1: British swearing isn't swearing.
0: (laughs) Um, uh, So major content warning as far as language goes. Uh, But the overall message is just be a good, positive person. And your life and other people's lives are going to be better. And I think we need more of that going on in the world.
1: This is such a great thing. Like I had no idea what it was. And within like 48 hours, like five people in my close circle one of them the uh ya author ali condi mm-hmm. um all said you have to watch this i was ugly crying over a certain episode etc cetera. Et cetera. And it was i know what you're most, talking about <laughs> it, it's the most diverse group of people ever recommending anything and i'm like a sports show i will never watch it i will never like it so it's on our list to like climb into and start watching Mm -hmm. all the way through. So I'm glad you're, you're the next in the line of of a lot of really, really quality recommendations to watch this.
0: Um, Okay. I think it's over to Todd Peterson then for the lesser known work. All
1: right. I'm going to do the the one, two punch um, with uh, uh, a quick one. And then one that I've just been talking about a lot lately. So the, the first one is a film that my family and I stumbled onto this summer um, called the peanut butter Falcon. I love that movie. I've heard it that, recommended, but
0: I've never watched it. It's so
1: good, <laughs> it's it is so great, and I'll tell you who recommended it to us: the Netflix algorithm. Nice. I mean, it, uh, oftentimes it doesn't even work, but we were looking for something to watch, uh, and we were we were kind of in the doldrums, right, of the the summer COVID, and we just got into this thing, and really, it, it sort of screams like like it's not going to be awesome. Right. I mean, Uh Shiloh Brooks in it and and he was still kind of, I think in the popular imagination, that crazy guy who got memed, (laughs) you know,
2: and I think think um, he was also being considered that crazy guy who plagiarized a short film,
1: uh, plagiarized a short film. Right. And, and, (laughs) but, but something has happened in this, he found his role. I mean, don't you think Todd? Oh yeah, absolutely. There is no one else really who should play that character. Uh-huh. Um, he, he sort of brings his whole ethos into the role, kind of like when, um, uh, Robert Downey Jr. kind of brought him his whole self into being Tony Stark yeah. Yeah. and it just created this, this larger thing, but it, but it also, it's, it's got, um, a down syndrome character in it, which almost automatically means I can't watch this. They're gonna they're gonna do something with this character that is kind of unsavory to to use, uh-huh. um, uh, people with uh, disabilities and kind of that kind of stuff doesn't happen. The Down syndrome character in in this movie is so wonderful and amazing, and he stands on his own two feet, and it it, it just shows the kind of the rich life of people that maybe just sort of call. I'm doing heavy uh, air quotes around this, like. Disabled, and it shows something else entirely, but I watched it i I wasn't sure if my kids were going to go for it at the end of it, like everybody was wiping their eyes, and my daughter brought her friends in the very next and watched it uh. and then so so like over the course of a week, like it had been seen like six times in our family. <laughs> And so um, I, I just don't know if it's, if it's huge or not, whatever, but, but it was one of those things where I was sort of rolling off of the um, people who've kind of recommended things. And and I don't know that these algorithms are always great, but this time I was like, I want that to be a category of movie. Like, do you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't even know mm-hmm. how to articulate it, but it, it's not just a feel good movie, but it's, it's sort of an uncontrived uh-huh. Movie Or a movie that it's like, I don't think this will be any good, but it surprised me about being kind of amazing. Yeah. So anyways, that was my big one. Uh, but there's a second one that, again, it's been solace to me. There's this weird little British reality television show called The Repair Shop. Oh, oh yes! I love oh, The Repair Shop. Oh, God. Okay. Okay, right? <laughs> oh, man. So. It is in so in the saddest dark days of the spring when we were like, is the world just kind of over? <laughs> um, my wife and I would get, get in bed together and we would watch this. Yeah, yeah. And this is, uh, I mean, the setup is really simple. There's so many reality television shows that are about voting people off the island or that, that are really sort of competitive and controversial. This show is a bunch of British people have stuff that's really special to them that broke, and they take it to the repair shop, and it can be fixed. <laughs> like, like that's it. And, and these are like
0: it, pro- professional conservators attached to a museum are the the ones that are fixing it, right?
1: I mean, th- th- there's like a a clockmaker. He is uh, so pleasant. He's just every
0: time he speaks, I feel like. Wisdom is being given, even though he's talking <laughs> about a gear that's broken.
1: Yeah, Just twist
2: this piece of brass for a few minutes. And...
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. And and I, I have the similar feelings for the ceramics conservator. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Kirsten, she is so able to um, just kind of tackle any problem. But again, sometimes these things it's like, I have this vase that my grandmother brought out of Germany when she was fleeing the Germans and I broke it, and it is my fault. And they're like, "We'll fix it." <laughs> but but to have that message in a world like we have today, that it's like, you want to know what? We don't have to throw stuff out if we're re- if you're really good, you can fix it, fix something, and and it'll be like people will bring in beloved stuffed animals.
0: Yeah, the stuffed animals ones. I'm always like, I don't need to see a stuffed animal. And then you hear the life story of the stuff, the person, and the stuffed animals. Like, okay, fix the stuffed animal, please. I I like this. And then when they
1: do, and when they do, I mean it. It it is like Lazarus level resurrection. That's so cool. It's
0: so impressive. And And, also the the painting repair. That's the one that I'm always like most. I, I don't yeah. understand how that was just done
1: <laughs> but but it's a way of saying we know what reality television is, which is usually and you know I wrote about this a lot and it needs to look like we tried like I just felt like it was reality television was this like empty sector of the human soul. <laughs> this show isn't it's it's I mean, in line with things like the British baking show and whatever I mean, where but it's just not, not
2: even competitive, and so you, nobody it's, has to lose
1: right. Right. That's the whole thing. It's amazing. It shows that you can structure a narrative based, you can create the kind of things that are necessary for a story just to like, how are they going to fix this clock? It's so important. Like, and you just felt it, but it was soothing. And again, so little that feels really, really moving is also soothing. Yeah. And so I don't know, I, I'm so glad that you all know about it. I don't know that tons of people know about it, but I'm, Positively evangelical about this show. It's on People are like I'm. It's on yeah. Netflix.
3: Okay, I have not seen it. My,
1: my wife is is like a deep stalker. Like she's been following. Uh, Steve and Sherston's Instagram account,
0: <laughs> and she just now there are there are seasons that have aired in England that have not been brought over to the U.S. Netflix, and I keep correct. waiting for a new season to drop. On and they're going to
1: bundle them up, and they're going to get us. I was just informed my w- by my wife that they um, just recently shot the Christmas show. Um, there's going to be so a Christmas that sh- show. Th- oh. th- there, yeah, there should be all packaged and- <laughs> with with all the special <laughs> Christmas <laughs> items. <laughs> I hope so. Oh. <laughs> that's awesome. but 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 i think if we boil it down to i love the fact that there's a television program that's sort of basic motto is we don't have to throw things away we can fix them and and that's the message that i want and and i i really wanted to bring it up for this thanksgiving show because that's what i want to feel at thanksgiving
0: yeah no I, I i love it that is such a great choice i'm glad you said that um all right. Should we lightening around a few of these other questions that we yeah. had? Wait, in, wait, wait. In let the, me, let the, me briefly ending. like hit my, oh, yeah. um, yes. Your lesser known work that yeah. you're so glad you've discovered.
2: I don't know if you guys have heard of a little thing called grand hotel. <laughs> uh, I'm very happy to have had grand hotel in my life. Um, but also the Amelia Peabody novels. Um, those are both thanks to the podcast and mm-hmm. it's fantastic. Um, but my serious one there's no way anybody's ever heard of Scamper the Penguin, but it was. Oh, I love
3: Scamper the Penguin. Oh, you know you Scamper the me? Penguin. okay? Of
2: course I, I do. I've got the DVD, so I can show it to my kids. <laughs> but, like, it was one of the VHS tapes that we had as a kid, and my mom would put it on all the time. It was, like, the go-to, just put it in, and I'm good for 90 and minutes. The,
3: the bad birds that come and...
2: Yeah, the seagulls. the
3: eggs and the seagulls. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Um, I a Scamper.
2: But yeah, like it's it's like a weird joint Japanese-Russian animated production. Like <laughs> I, like it's one of those things like, why is this? Yeah. Like wh- how did this happen and how does it exist? And fortunately they made DVDs of it. <laughs> I've got the DVD copy. So the VHS, which was totally burning out um, and like losing its color, um, could be replaced with a DVD. And now I get to show it to my kids and like and it's great. I love it. Scamper the Penguin. It's a fantastic thing. It's never going to be on a <laughs> streaming service. So like, I mean, so try to Andrew's house if you want to watch but, it. Yeah. Like it's, it's not going to be easy to track down, but I love it. I love Scamper the Penguin. There's little songs. There's a little hero's journey going on. Yeah. It's good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> That's so awesome. I love Scamper. <laughs>
0: All right, uh, let, I'm just going to go through in an order and I'll just call it out and we can all just run through maybe uh, not in depth, but just uh, names that we had down. So who is a creator you're thankful for? Uh, let's start with Todd Mack.
3: Um, I'm going with the Catalan author Jaume Cabré. He was the first uh, author that I met that was like a legit author and he's so nice. And <laughs> it was just so cool for me to see, uh, you know, a real person that's a real, uh, really good author. Um, and to have a relationship with him has been really cool.
0: Uh, all right. I had, uh, I had a number of names, but I'll just say I put down George Lucas cause I just feel like he gets so much flack <laughs> for the people yeah. and people and like, think of how much he has shaped Popular culture, uh, and and like me being able to sit down with my kids and watch Star Wars is like just a special moment. And everything that's come out of Star Wars, and his name has uh, kind of been memeified as like a bad creator, but he really is as responsible for the current con- uh, production and consumption of blockbusters as almost any other single creator out there.
3: That's a really good pick,
0: uh, Todd Peterson.
1: I'm split, um, so I'll say both quickly. The Cohen brothers, (laughs) hands down. They're my biggest influences ever, period. So I thank these guys for doing their thing. Um, But another one that I couldn't let go because we were talking about auteur theory in my film theory class this week, I had to bring up um, Taika Waititi (laughs) because I just think that he sort of fundamentally transforms every project that he gets involved in. And the two... Kind of stormtroopers in The Mandalorian having their conversation about how much they hate working for the Empire <laughs> is my favorite moment of all the Star Wars forever. And if he did a whole movie of that, I would watch it a million times. Yeah,
2: I know. I think that's a great choice. Andrew, do you have a creator that you're thankful for? Yeah, I'm going to go with um, Hiromu Arakawa, who's the creator of Full Metal Alchemist. Um, okay. Especially because. She's like from a farming town and grew up on the farm. And when she wanted to grow up and and create comics, her parents said, no, we need you on the farm. And so she worked the farm for seven extra years and then went to the city and and made Full Metal Alchemist. And that's a pretty solid, solid move after your seven years on the farm. (laughs) Yeah, I think so. Um, Okay. so the next
0: question is what is the most surprisingly good work you have discovered? Uh, something that maybe you didn't have great expectations for but it's it's wowed you and and it's like it's going to hold you forever. So Todd Peterson in view of something there.
1: This is this is kind of passé because of the last round of the Emmys, but Schitt's Creek. Mm-hmm. I thought there's no way this is going to be good. It's a stupid name. <laughs> Um, and then I started thinking, yeah, it's like those other things like the bare naked ladies of the crash Demp dummies, which are also strangely Canadian with like really bad names, but I, I kind of like what's on the back end. But again, it fits into the theme of what we were talking about. It's so much about being good, about mm-hmm. how you can change and develop. I love it. I just I love it so much. And when it was over, I was so sad because I couldn't watch it again. It I wanted to have it wiped from my memory so I could start over.
0: All right, Andrew. I'm gonna to get to you in a second, but I, because he, he said it was about the theme of being good. I just want to get in with mine because both of mine actually hit this, and I didn't realize this was a theme we were building on and what we're thankful for. But the Paddington movies.
3: Yes. Uh, oh yeah.
0: <laughs> yep. I those movies have no. They there's no reason they should be as magically perfect, absurdly perfect, but they are, and it is <laughs> so wonderful. It's like watching a hug the entire time. <laughs> It's like the
1: Babe movies. The Babe movies are in that same space. Yeah,
0: and then the other one that I had down here, and you mentioned Teiko with Titi, is Jojo Rabbit. Like I was like, Ah, is this gonna work? Like you hear the premise of Jojo Rabbit about uh, a Nazi youth, and it's like, "Mm, amazing. How's this gonna go? And it goes so well. It is so amazing, and it it rides the line that a lot of literature and movies and TV shows that try and deal with the Holocaust. There there's uh there's what art uh, Arts People would sometimes called Halakitch, which he feels is like becomes emotionally manipulative about it. Somehow this manages to just avoid that, I feel like.
2: Uh Andrew, do you have something you want to throw in for a surprisingly good work you've discovered? Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Um I did like I didn't know what to expect going into that movie. And I didn't have like huge hopes. But it became one of my absolute favorite movies and, and at times has definitely been my absolute favorite movie. All
1: right. So good.
2: Uh,
0: Todd Mack.
3: Do you have something here? This is such an interesting category for me because um, (laughs) there are, I mean, like the thing that comes to mind is a thing that everybody's going to say, how could you possibly have been surprised by this? Because everyone on their, dog has said that it's the greatest thing ever but the great british baking show i love that show so much i did not not expect to love it as much as i did um but i i have a daughter that's really into baking and me too and so it uh, it can be big so i you know i'd heard all of these people and sometimes i have every once in a while i have that rebel streak where everyone says this is the greatest thing ever and i'm like yeah whatever it's really not that good and i'm not going to to partake uh but anyway i just pulled it up one day and then like four hours later (laughs) oh my goodness i think it was when one of my kids was in the hospital and i was just binging great british baking show and thinking this is so so good uh i love that thing so great british baking show
1: i would bet even money that my wife is watching it right now (laughs)
0: um all right uh, another quick lightning round what is the work that feels like home to you i think to, uh, who wrote this question this wasn't one that i put down but i loved it when i saw it
1: oh did i add that one i don't know oh i think i did because you know thanksgiving is about you know over the river and through the woods mm-hmm. home and stuff um yeah oh for me it's
3: anything written by louis lamore like when as soon as i so the first louis lamore book that i had it um that somebody spilled, probably me, because it was my book, uh, maple syrup on the book. And and so <laughs> I still have that book and it still smells like maple syrup like 25 years later. <laughs> um, and th- there are just so many, so many memories and like sense memories associated with those books, like those old Bantam paperback books where the pages are kind of falling out. And for me to like go in a used bookstore – and pay a dollar fifty for a uh, for a Louis L'Amour book. There's nothing that just takes me back to my childhood and makes me feel more at home reading than uh, than any Louis L'Amour book.
1: You know, an early version of Proust's In Search of Lost Time. It was about a Louis L'Amour book with maple syrup on it. Yeah, and he just switched it to Madeline's so it would be more relatable. Yes, absolutely. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, Andrew, can you think of something that uh, feels like home
2: to you? Um, it's really hard because in the last few years, I've gone back to things less and less, um, except that now I'm reading books to my kids at night. Um, and I've been reading Redwall books, um, which is a series oh, that good. that I loved growing up. And so that's close, but it's so different because I'm, I'm like presenting it instead of mm-hmm. like settling into it. It's like, no here's for you and so it's, it's a different experience but i'd say that's probably the closest thing for me all right um i had a few on here uh,
0: and it's uh, a lot of things that are just like part of my, you know, I just have memories and I ended up choosing one that I actually haven't, I, I didn't watch as a kid, but I remember my parents watching cheers. And then I ended up having the chance to work with my sister, Kate and, and work on a book about cheers. And so it, it was on a lot, uh, you know, as I was doing it, but just hearing the theme song from cheers, I actually can still have memories of my parents <laughs> in their room and like hearing that theme song coming out of my parents' room. Uh, and, and so I'm going to go with Cheers.
1: Hmm, good. Is it uh, me?
0: Yes, Todd Peterson.
1: I've got two. One of them's an old home and one of them's a new home. Uh the first one is the Incredibles. Mm.
3: Um,
1: we our first home that we ever bought actually was a mid-century modern home that looked like the Incredibles House. And I had students that actually called our house the Incredibles House. <laughs> um so uh, but that our family structure is the same way with a daughter, a son, and a son. Um and I just it just feels like it's the superhero version of the story I want to tell about my own family. I always cry in this movie, like ridiculous, ridiculously. Um, so, The Incredibles, Brad Bird's just sort of genius movie. It's my so favorite good. Pixar film. Um, and then the second is Steven Soderbergh's recent Logan Lucky. Um, it's a it's basically like sort of like blue, blue collar Ocean's Eleven. I watch it and I just feel it's comfort food. It feels so perfectly like the story I love that I want to write, that I want to tell, that I want to hear about. Um, And it's so much better than it got credit for. It kind of just got dropped in that, in a weird slot kind of like freaks and geeks just kind of could have had a better slot and everybody would have loved it. Logan lucky. I just think kind of lost out in its distribution deal or something, but it's so good and it's hilarious. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's, it's lovely, I guess for, for, a, like a redneck heist movie, it's lovely.
0: I haven't seen it. I remember seeing the trailers for it and just thinking that is so oddball. Like it felt like a Coen brothers movie. That wasn't a Coen brothers from looking at the trailer.
1: Right. Oh my gosh. Really? If you've just got some time, it's great. My kids have actually seen it now more than I have. Cause when I say let's watch Logan lucky, they go like, oh gosh, dad, we just watched it again. So, <laughs> it's cool.
0: All right. Uh our next uh quick hit question is going to be um uh what is a work that you want to revisit? And I think this is another one that Todd Peterson may wrote, like like Family
3: You Miss. <laughs> yes. Uh for me it's um Fringe. I'm actually Oh my god. I am rewatching Fringe right now. And it's so good, but right,
0: I've I never watched Fringe, and my wife and I were ta- like it got name dropped
3: as something we needed to binge, so maybe it'll move up our our chart. It's so good, and um, I know that it's like uh like Lost. Um, I think that some people didn't like the way that Fringe ended. Um, I loved it all the way through, and and I'm rewatching it again, and just remembering how much I love those characters. Um yeah it's really uh, worth worth visiting once and worth revisiting
0: all right um, I have on here uh, a, a couple books that I read and loved and I just haven't gotten back to Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay and Seven Eaves by Neil Stevenson
1: mm.
0: uh, well Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay is by Michael Michael Chabon and uh, so I, I, I want to get back to those and then I just remember the TV show Pushing Daisies and it just crossed my mind. Oh. Pushing oh. Daisies oh. is good Watch pushing daisies again mm-hmm. <laughs> uh so so those are m- my picks there uh
2: Andrew, what do you have i well, since you mentioned pushing daisies um that's a really really solid one um and I think I've been so it i part of it's because there's now a new season that I haven't watched um. But there was a a DC animated series called Young Justice, which is pretty (laughs) solid. And I'd like to go back to that because I haven't watched it in years because it it left Netflix. It's on like the HBO Max streaming with the DC stuff. But um, after like 10 years, they got a third season of this animated series because like it was it was very weirdly handled by I think Cartoon Network when it was on. Like at some point it got the 2 a.m. slot. (laughs) <laughs> and, and everyone had to just, like, watch it on their DVRs. But everyone was saying, was like, guys, this is a really good DC animated series. And then it was on Netflix. And it got just, like, pushed and pushed and pushed, like, like Twitter and hashtags and everything to the point where they actually said, okay, guys, we actually are going to make a third season. After, like, seven years, they actually said it. And then, like, three years later, they actually did it. Uh huh. Uh
0: yeah, I never really got into that, but I've heard enough good things about it. I need to try and find it and and watch it. Um, let's see, Todd Peterson, what is your pick here?
1: Oof, um, Northern Exposure. I oh, love that show. Yes, great bit. pick. Yeah. It's been killing me because it's not on any streaming services, so I'll just have to throw down the cash for DVDs. The DVDs, yeah, interlibrary loan. <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> that'll, that'll mean that we have to like move at it through a, a pretty good clip, but I love that show. I love it. Um, and it's one I talk about a lot and because it just, because it never made it into streaming culture. I think it's, it's waning from people's minds, yeah. but it, it's like the original great small town quirk.
0: Yeah. And magical realism and, oh, just, it's oh, so good. Yeah.
1: And, and you know, neurotic city people and, um, I just love it. And it was one of the extras um, was the wife of one of my bosses for a long time. And so Joanne would always come in and kind of tell us about what it was like to shoot Northern Exposure. So it has a kind of mythology for me. And it's just been a very long time since I've seen episodes of it. And I love it so much. All right.
0: Uh, I think we're going to do one last question. And uh, it's the last one that got added on here. What is something that just makes you happy? Not that it's great or deep or thematically complex, but it just brings you joy. Todd Mack, what's something that makes you happy?
3: The thing that makes me happy is uh, so, my kids are of an age now where we can really talk about stuff. And uh, we're doing homeschool. We've been doing it for a couple of years now. Um, but for me, for me to just be able to say, this next several weeks, we're going to read Jane Eyre. And then to <laughs> sit down and read Jane Eyre with my kids every night, we do a chapter. Um, we put it on the, on, on audible and the kids follow along in their book. And then we talk about it. Um, and, you know, like we're learning about birds in zoology. And I said, you know what we should watch the big year. Have you guys seen the big year?
0: No. Is that the Steve Martin? Bird yes.
3: It's Steve Martin, Jack, Jack, the Jack Black, Black and Owen Wilson I haven't as seen it. bird watchers. <laughs> it's so good. But to, just to be able to say, you know what, this week for homeschool, we're going to watch the big year and look at some birds And uh, uh, now I want you to watch this documentary about uh, Hannibal or um, just to have that freedom uh, to to choose the things that my kids are reading and then to be able to talk with them about it. Um, One of these questions that we didn't get to is, what do you want to talk with your family about at at Thanksgiving? Mm -hmm. And this is what I get to do just every day. (laughs) And, um, you know, I think my lucky stars that – uh, that that's the life that I get to live right now, but it is so awesome. And I am so grateful for it.
2: All right, Andrew, is there something that brings you joy? Um, Well, Todd talking about his, his family made me think about how happy I am. Anytime I see my two kids, like when they have playtime or, or time where it's like, you know, this is not structured. We're not telling you that this is what's happening, Um, but we give them options. And when they choose books, or they want us to set up their reading space, which is putting a blanket on the floor with a pillow. Um, huh? And that's their reading space. And they get a big stack of books and there's no way that they can read any bit of it, but they look at all the pictures <laughs> and um, my older daughter, I I know based on how she's talking about it, she is making up story from the pictures. Um, <laughs> you know, she is constructing something for what's going on. It's like, oh, and this person's really sad about something. And it's like, that's not in the story. This is not what's going on, but she's, she's <laughs> making it. Um, and, and anytime I see them with their stacks of books, um, that is like magic. Huh. All right. Uh, mine's, a
0: I guess a little, a little bit like unto what has been shared by both Todd and Andrew. I just think about like the books that my kids have me read to them over and over and over again. Like right now, my youngest, has a cars three golden book that I have read to him every night for bedtime story for probably a month straight. (laughs) I've got the thing memorized at this point. Uh, And on the one hand, it's a little tedious, but on the other hand, he gets so happy when, when, I pick up that book, and like that is infectious to me. <laughs> you know, at that at that moment, even though I know exactly what's going to happen with Cruz Ramirez here, uh, <laughs> it, it doesn't matter a- anymore. Once I see like the amount of joy that reading the exact same book over and over and over is going to give him. So uh, the, the storybooks that my kids ask me to read yet again is going to be my thing. The you know my work that's bringing me joy right now. All right, Todd Peterson.
1: My son um is playing the guitar, and he his favorite um musician right now um that I can tell is a guy named David Villery who plays kind of old style jazz stuff and right before we did this podcast, we were in the front room, and he was just working on this jazz music that he's playing on his own and i thought and I looked at my wife and my wife looked at i ourselves and said. We could have any of a hundred different versions of a teenage kid who plays guitar, but right now he's playing music that makes uh, it feel like the most romantic room in the whole house. (laughs) And and I think that grossed him out so much that he just quit. but but it it's he's actually he's really quite good and i'm hoping in our little tiny town i'm going to be able to find some kind of instruction for him because he's he it, it's really marvelous
0: all right well thank you for coming on to talk about the the works that you're thankful for and the things that make you happy i think a thread that started to crop up is those works that just kind of are about good people who want to make other people better (laughs) like i started to see that uh happening and uh, that's not where i knew this was going to go but i think it's where we landed and it's something that maybe we we all just a little need after a a rough 2020 that's had a lot of stress uh added on to us in the world today um does anyone have any final thoughts before we give a full wrap-up
1: I hope that this becomes like a regular Thanksgiving feature because there's not enough stuff. Thanksgiving is a marvelous holiday, maybe because it doesn't have all the accoutrement um, that the other holidays do. But I, I think that this podcast is is it makes me want to have these conversations with my family during the holiday instead of talking about crazy. Yeah. <laughs>
0: I, if it inspires anyone to do that, I think it's been worth uh, sitting down for an, an hour and a half and recording this episode. Sorry, it went a little long, listeners, uh, but hopefully you enjoyed it. Well, thank you all uh, again for downloading this. Thank you, Todd and Todd and Andrew, for being here. Uh, for show notes and links to all the other great Dueling Genre shows, you can go to DuelingGenre.com. Also, please subscribe to the Protagonist podcast in your podcast app of choice, and please leave us a review. That really helps us out. We would like to thank Nick English, who designed our logo, and Scott Tofte, who composed our theme music. If you enjoyed this episode, you might want to go check out episode number 22, when we talk about The Hero's Journey, or number 81, when we talk about Watership Down, or episode number 223, when we talk about The Good Place. Uh, you can reach us by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com. We're also on Twitter. You can follow at protagonist pod or at Jay Dorowski and our producer. Andrew is at Diz minute. And our Facebook fan page is facebook.com slash protagonist podcast. Uh, Todd's, do you have anything you would like to plug?
1: I got nothing right now. Um, I'm shameless, but my, but uh, my press will be so thankful if I do um, January 5th, I have a new novel coming out. It's a, it's a fun kind of uh Crime novel set in national parks about antiquities, theft, and cultural appropriation, and all kinds of uh, marvelous things like that. So, um, buy it uh, at an independent bookstore and uh, help support uh, those folks who've been hit so hard with this uh, COVID economy. Um, like we were talking about earlier, bookstores are so important, and we can, we can do a little bit to help by uh, maybe not using Amazon and, and using a local bookstore.
0: Uh, Yeah, thank you, and uh, I hope the book release goes well for you. And thank thank you, you. listeners, for downloading this episode. We'll be back next week to discuss a great character and a great story. So long.
3: So long.
1: Awesome. It was so long.
0: Hold on, I gotta pull recording. up a script. I've only done this 300 times. Uh,
1: <laughs> right I need
0: to uh, just give a quick reminder of how we open things up. It's a crutch. Yeah, it, it is. And I'm gonna use it. <laughs>